Scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's share in God's good word together. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was 1947, and miraculously, somehow, someway, Corrie Ten Boom survived a Nazi concentration camp. And so in 1947, she began a speaking circuit. She'd come from Holland to the then defeated Germany with this message. God forgives. God forgives. She writes, there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People, they would simply stand up in silence. They would gather their things in silence. And in silence, they would leave the room. She writes, and that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others. She writes, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, I saw the blue uniform and the cap with skull and crossbones. She writes, it came back with such a rush. She, in her mind's eye, she could see the huge room with the harsh lights and the pile of clothes, dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of walking past that man naked. She writes in her mind's eye that she could see her sister, her sister's frail frame ahead of her in line with her ribs poking out. Underneath parchment skin. Her name was Betsy. And she writes, Betsy, how thin you were as she remembered back in their time in the camp. And as she kind of came uh, back into the room, she writes, and now he was in front of me. With his hand thrust out. And he said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, All our sins are forgiven at the bottom of the ocean. She writes, he would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember me among thousands of women? She remembered him. And she writes, but I remembered him, the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with my captor. And my blood seemed to freeze. He said, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, he said. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And then he said, Fraulein, and again his hand came out. Will you forgive me? She writes, and I stood there. I, whose sins had been forgiven again and again, 
I could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that camp, in that place. Could he simply erase all of that in mere seconds by asking? It could not have been many seconds, she writes. But to her, she says, he stood there, hand held out. It seemed as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And then she writes these words, for I had to do it. I knew that. I had to. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. And if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. She writes it out. And then she writes this paragraph that really struck me. She said, I knew it not only as a commandment, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home. She created a home in Holland for the victims of Nazi brutality. I want you to see this word for word. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And then she says, and I stood there still with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. And I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart, she writes. And then she prayed, help. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, God. I can do that much. You supply the feeling." So she writes, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, and then it raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, my whole being bringing tears to my eyes, and I found myself saying, I forgive you, brother. With all my heart, I forgive you. And then she writes these words, For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then in that moment. But even so, I realized it was not my love. Oh, I had tried. I did not have the power, she says. Then she writes these words. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. When we were getting ready for this week, Pastor Brandon uh, offhandedly said, uh, Corey Tenboom has a PhD in forgiveness. That's right. We are concluding our sermon series on three words that change everything, change the world. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Gorell and, and his work over the last three weeks. Uh, we've learned these very, very important words. Week one, please invites relationship, unlocks cooperation, and acknowledges, say it with me, that we is greater than me. Absolutely right, just is. Please invites that relationship. Such an important word. The next week, uh, we looked at sorry. And sorry strengthens connections and can lead to mending broken relationships. Very important. Of course it is. 
And then last week, something we see all throughout the Bible, in the Old and New Testaments, and that's about thanks. And thanks paves the way to gratitude and an expectancy to see God move on your behalf. You get to live in a new way. Because a thankful person, a grateful person, sees God moving. It changes everything. It's beautiful. But as I reflected uh, over these three words, I, it came to me that we never get to them if we can't say three others. I forgive you. We say that with me? I forgive you. I forgive you. So as I prepare for these messages... Um, this one I had a number of weeks to prepare for. I, I you know, scan, scan the internet and all these sorts of things, kind of look for different things that I hope uh, might help me or help you. And I, I came across this. Uh, it's not biblical, but I like it. Uh, the first to apologize is, say it with me, the bravest. That might be true. The first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. Absolutely true about that, right? But as I, you know, that's nice. You might hang that on the wall, but that's, that's not the one that really spoke to me, the one that spoke to me is this. Sometimes the first step to forgiveness is understanding the other person's an idiot. That, that I can get in line with. I felt that emotion, right? And, and actually, that's kind of true. It's not, I'm not asking you to emulate it, but it's kind of true. Like, you know, they just, they just don't say, oh, bless your heart. You just don't know, right? So today we come to these three words. Same again with me. I forgive you. Powerful, changes the world. We don't know who said it, but I like it. It is far better to forgive and forget than to resent and remember. Isn't it? Sure it is. And Dallas Willard, in his writing about being a Christian and what that takes, when we come to things like forgiveness, it look, I'm not being Pollyanna about this. It's hard. It's hard stuff. Stuff you cannot seriously do in your own strength. It's, it's much too big for that. So Dallas writes, the true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. We need God's grace to be able to forgive. We need God's power to be able to do the things that he asks us to do. For God to put some super on our natural. Amen? We need that. We can't live the life he calls us to otherwise. R.T. Kendall writes, when everything in you wants to hold a grudge, point a finger, and remember the pain, God wants you to lay it all aside. Not because you have to but because it'll bless you. So as we come to this today, there's a really important question. Is there any unforgiveness in your heart? If there is, it's not doing you any good. It's really not. Another way of asking it is, are you holding a grudge? Or, you know, if you're a Christian, a pout. We don't hold grudges, just we just pout. I'm pretty good at it at times. It's not a gift. It doesn't help you. You see, Jesus says it very clearly, right? The smartest man that's ever lived, teaching the greatest sermon ever given. In Matthew 6, he says, and forgive us our debts, same with me, as we. Right? As we. That's the key. I mean, we've got to take this seriously. As we also have forgiven our debtors. That's just the way it works. Jerry Bridges writes, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. No, no, no. You're, no one's ever that bad. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Amen? Right? That's why we say good morning, saints, good morning, sinners. Both of these things are true. We need God's forgiveness, and we need to be able to give God's forgiveness to others. And you say, well, okay, well, why is this important? Well, there's lots of reasons, not the least of which is that unforgiveness will kill you. 
Absolutely. Unforgiveness is linked to things like heart disease, high blood pressure, stress, and poor mental health. And there's lots and lots and lots of studies on that. You can Google that one. That's easy to come by. Mark Batterson writes it like this. He says, we have two options when it comes to the pain that we inflict on others and the pain that is inflicted on us. We can repress it or we can confess it. And whatever you repress will eventually depress. And I've certainly seen that over and over again. Don't play the victim when things go bad. Don't play God when things go good. Right? We're both things. We need God's grace. We need to be able to extend it to others. And if we know this, and we do, right? We talk about this every year at least once. Then why don't we do it? Why don't we forgive? Well, you all are very smart people. You have your reasons. You've got good reasons. Right? I've got mine. You've got yours. Let's play a little game here. Let's see if you know the answers to these. One of the reasons we don't forgive people is because they don't what? They don't deserve it. Do they? They don't deserve it. They've not even asked for it. But here's the thing, friends. It's not about them. It's about your character, not their crime. It's about you. It's about your character. Are you a Christian? Does Jesus live within you? Does his character live within you? If it does, then it's about your character, not the other person. The other reason, of course, is that we want the other person to go what? First. Oh, I will if you will. But if I go first, they'll just, you know, they'll take advantage of that. I'm tired of being the first one that goes first. I've been the first for 30 years. <laughs> Chantel's not here at the moment. I'm getting by with that. My wife, Chantel. No. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But we say it to ourselves. Oh, I'll, I'll do it. You know, when my child gets in line or my parent does what we want them to do, my sister, my brother, my spouse, my coworker. And in our more honest moments, we know this to be true. We want the other person to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay for the pain you've caused me, the pain you caused my children, the pain you caused my community, my friends, my family. You're going to pay. Friends, I've watched people lose 5, 10, 15 years of their life waiting for someone to pay for something they're never going to pay for. Just losing their life. And, of course, all of this, underneath all of this, is that we're really, what? We're afraid. We're afraid of getting hurt all over again. Of course we are. Because if we've been hurt, it's because we love the people that are hurting us. There's some kind of relationship there, and it hurts. We don't want that to happen again. I mean, I understand it. It's an important thing that we're talking about today. So here's the bottom line. As, As clear as I know how to tell you. Friends, forgiveness is freedom. And fear is a villain. Think about this. Freedom brings you all the gifts of the Spirit. It brings love into your life. Joy into your life. Peace into your life. Patience. Right? You, you can actually have some patience in things you didn't have before. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things come out of forgiveness. And the opposite is true of fear. And you think about it when you're afraid. You isolate. You back up. You don't have peace. You have chaos. You don't have love. You have hate. You don't have joy. You have depression. All the things that fear leads to. And so that's why God always talks to us about forgiveness because forgiveness is for you. It's for you and it's for you. For everyone in this room, for your benefit. Mark Batterson, the way that he writes, it's very quippy and it's also memorable. He says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and thinking it'll kill the rat. 
The only person you're hurting is yourself. You have to forgive for your sake. It's for your sake. Another reason we don't forgive is because we confuse it with lots of other things. And, and I, will, I will tell you this. Growing up as a preacher's kid in the public eye, it used to drive me nuts when someone had bad behavior around me or would do something mean to me or my sister. And then they would say, but you have to forgive me. You're the preacher's kid. I'm like, they did not know that my dad also told me to punch him in the face. <laughs> Which I did not do. My dad was a boxer. Um, but So here's the thing, right? Let's, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing bad behavior. No, absolutely. You can say no to that and hold a good boundary. That's not okay. That doesn't happen here. One of the things I love about our church is that we're able to do that. Everybody's welcome. Every behavior is not. You don't get to be mean here. You don't get to be rude here. You don't get to put other people down here. None of that's welcome here. You're welcome here. Does it make sense? Very important that we get this right. We can forgive people and set ourselves free and be in right relationship and not excuse bad behavior. Like, nope, that's not walking in these doors. Okay? The other thing we have to be really clear about is that forgiveness is not justifying injustice. There are things we absolutely have to speak out against because they're wrong. They're just dead wrong. And as Christians, we've we got to stand up and say, no, that is wrong. People say, well, you've got to forgive them. Well, that may be, but that doesn't make that right. We've got to care for one another, take care of those who are weak. That's our role. And sometimes we, just, we simply confuse forgiveness with things like reconciliation. They're not the same. We have two different words for them for good reason. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Sometimes you can forgive and reconciliation never even gets to the table. You just, it's not going to be restored. It's just not. But you don't have to be bound to it the rest of your life. Forgiveness isn't restitution. It's absolutely not. Sometimes restitution is absolutely appropriate and good, but you don't always get it, and that's compensation for loss. If one of you, I guarantee you this, if one of you borrows my car and you wreck it, I'm going to expect you to give me a new car. I just am. I'll forgive you. We can be in relationship, but I'm getting a car. Because you wrecked mine. There are consequences to our actions, even if you can repair the relationship. So sometimes you can get restitution. Sometimes you can get reconciliation. Sometimes you can't get either. And certainly forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not. When someone says, oh, well, you brought that up. You know, you, you didn't really forgive me. Like, oh, no, I forgave you. But I'm not dumb. I'm, I'm not going to let that happen again. Because you're not, you know, honoring the relationship or whatever it is. See, here, here's the thing we have to get right. Super important. And that is that forgiveness cancels the debt of sin, not the consequences. Say that with me. Forgiveness cancels the debt of sin, not the consequences. Look, if you, if you commit a crime, the person you commit that crime against, they can forgive you. You're still going to jail. That consequence doesn't go away just because somebody says they forgive you. It just doesn't. You accidentally kill someone drinking and driving? God's not bringing that person back to life. There are consequences to sin, and they are real. But there's been beautiful times of reconciliation, even between families that have had horrible things happen in their life. Adam Hamilton, last year when we were talking about, he said, forgiveness is not returning to an abusive marriage. Got to get this really clear. It is letting go of the bitterness, the anger, and the desire for retribution. You don't want you to lose your life hating someone. 
God has a better life for you than that. Mark Batterson this year says it like this. If you find yourself in an abusive or dangerous situation, you owe it to yourself and to God to get out of it. Get out of it. And if, you, if you're here today and that's you, please see Dr. Gurrell or Brandon or myself or call the YWCA and get to a shelter and get safe. And don't put any of the rest of your family members in danger because it gets ugly in a hurry. And this is really super serious stuff, life and death stuff. So this is not, when we're talking about forgiveness, that is not in any way allowing an abuser to hold you down in your place, not at all. So what is forgiveness then? If it's none of those things, what is it? Well, in the Bible, it's simply to untie, to be set free, to let go, to release, to be free. Right? Because forgiveness is freedom. You don't have to be tied to that any longer. And here's the thing about Jesus, our Savior. He says, right, that he connects God's forgiveness with our forgiveness of others. They're connected. Because you cannot receive God's forgiveness if you are not a forgiving person. You're the one blocking it. We'll get to that more in a minute. But watch what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. This is the message version. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Friends, this is so important. God's not mad at you, and God's not out to get you. And God's willing to forgive you. It's not God cutting you off. You're cutting yourself off. That's what happens when you're a person of unforgiveness. You cannot receive the forgiveness that God has for you. And that's why, friends, forgiveness is mandatory. It's not an option for us. It's not a pick list. This is not one we get to get around or get to later. This is it. It's absolute mandatory for your life, for your ability to live into the life God has for you. And here's, here's the good and hard news about it. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. You can say, well, I, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Nope, you rarely do. I've never known anybody like, I just, I'm so happy I'm going to forgive that person that hurt me. It doesn't happen. It's hard. It's hard work, and it's something that you need others to help, with, help you with. And it's absolutely true that hurt people hurt people. You've heard that. And that's true. It's also true that forgiven people forgive people. That's our calling. That's who we're to be. Eugene Boring, who is a New Testament professor at TCU, he, he writes it this way to help us understand this concept, and that is that prayer for God's forgiveness is unthinkable for one who is intentionally an unforgiving person. It's just not possible for you. Your psychology cannot hold that. You just can't hold it in your mind. A, a, a cleaner way of saying it is simply this. We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. We, we, it's not possible for us to do. God doesn't do that. So in a different place in the Bible, not in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this in Mark 11. Whenever you stand praying, what are we supposed to do? Forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, say it with me, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Friends, when we see the same concept showing up in multiple places in the Bible, it's because we're supposed to pay attention. It's like, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Forgiveness is for your good, for your life. Mark Batterson writes, unforgiveness keeps us from experiencing the miraculous. And I found that to be absolutely true. If you want to experience the miraculous, you have to offer forgiveness. They're tied together. You see this in Jesus' ministry all the time. He forgives sins and they get up and walk. He forgives sins and they see. And then he gets in trouble. They're like, well, why does he say forgiveness of sins? And Jesus says, it's the same thing. When I forgive them, they're healed. 
It's salvation. It's sozo in the Greek. Francis McNutt has an incredible book on healing. It's not new, but it's, it's well-researched, and it'll blow your mind. And he, he writes this. He says, Jesus laid such a heavy stress on forgiving enemies when he talked about prayer. He doesn't talk nearly as much about drunkenness and lust as he does about being hard and unforgiving. It's as if God's saving healing, yes, his saving healing, forgiving love cannot flow into us unless we are ready to let it flow out to others. If we deny forgiveness and healing to others, God's love cannot flow into us. And then he writes, I love God only as much as I love my worst enemy. Let that sink in. I don't know who said it, but it's something to ponder They said, you know, the real test of Christianity is not if you love Jesus. It's if you love Judas. Jesus is easy to love. I mean, come on, he's Jesus. He can do anything. Judas, that's harder. That's harder. You see, when we get into this forgiveness-unforgiveness game, you see, with unforgiveness, what feels like self-protection is actually self-destruction. The very thing that you're doing to say, well, I'm not going to get hurt again or I'm going to do this. When you step back and back, you become more and more isolated, more and more insulated, more and more depressed. It's a villain, friends, that fear, that unforgiveness. It'll kill you and those around you. Karen Newhoff says it like this. He says, a life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone. Of course, that's true. If you're unwilling to forgive people, then ultimately you're the only one left alone. So Jesus says it like this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Now, those of you who have been to the Holy Land know that the Sermon on the Mount is at the top end of the Sea of Galilee. It overlooks the the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's green. It's wonderful. It is 72 miles away from the altar. When Jesus is saying this, it's not next door. It's like a week's journey to do that, what he's asking of you. The altar was 72 miles from where Jesus was. There's nothing convenient about offering a sincere apology or genuinely extending forgiveness, but it's worth the trip, he writes. It is worth it, but it's hard. It takes time. It takes resources. It takes courage. And this is something, friends, that again is not is mandatory. It's not something we get around. Paul teaches this to the early church um, in Ephesus, in Turkey. Paul taught the early church that church forgiveness is a requirement of our Christian conduct. It just is. So he writes in, in Ephesians four: "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and say it with me, forgiving one another." As God in Christ has forgiven you. That's how you bring heaven to earth. So I know what you're thinking. It's like, well, come on, I've done that. How many times do I have to forgive? Well, that's what Peter asked Jesus, of course. And Jesus didn't answer him directly. He told him a story. The story goes something like this. It's, it's condensed, but it goes like this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? And uh, Peter's patting himself on the back like, I'm going to say seven because I really think it's three. It's gonna, I'm going to double that plus one. Jesus is going to pat me on the head. It's going to be great. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was about 15 years wages, way more money than anybody ever had in that day. 
He was brought to him, and as he could not pay, of course, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife, children, possessions, and he falls on his knees and he says, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him, forgave him the debt. But that same slave, that same slave, he comes across one of his contemporaries. He owes him 100 denarii, just a day's wage. Not 15 years, just a day. And he seizes him by the throat and he says, you better pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down. He said the same thing he had just said. He says, I'll pay you. But he refused. He refused. And then he went through himself and threw him into prison and, 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 and. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, his contemporaries, they were greatly distressed. (laughs) Yeah. And they reported to their Lord, the big boss, all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave and had mercy on you? As I had mercy on you. Y'all do get this, right? This, This is supposed to connect now. This is our story. God is the master of the story. So Jesus' mission, friends, is to connect people to the love of God. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you, right? So Jesus, on the last night of his life, he takes a cup. After giving thanks to God, as is custom, he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, say it with me, why? For the forgiveness of sins. There it is. The very last act he does. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It's his last meal, and this is what he's doing, forgiving. Friends, Jesus' mission is to bring heaven to earth, to connect people to the love of God. His strategy is forgiveness. It's that simple. His strategy is forgiveness. So at the very end, and Luke, it says this, two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him on crosses. And when they came to the place, it's called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And then Jesus said, say it with me, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' strategy is forgiveness because forgiveness brings heaven to earth where what God wants done is done, that we would live together in harmony. Now this next concept can change your life. And that is, we can make a predecision to forgive others, no matter what they do, no matter what they say. You can go from being a person who has given the act of forgiveness to being a person of forgiveness, regardless of what comes next. And we see this, of course, in Stephen, in Acts 7. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, say it with me, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. Do you think, really, Stephen, when he's getting stoned, he's like, well, I better think about whether I'm going to forgive him or not. No. It simply was who he was. You wouldn't know Stephen's name otherwise. Right? I mean, that's what you know about Stephen. That he forgave the first martyr of our faith. Now, I want to make a distinction as we close up and get to our action steps. It's super important. So if you've been sleeping, wake up. This is, a, this is really important for you. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And you've got to know the difference because it'll wreck your life if you don't. Conviction is feeling guilt over unconfessed, unconfessed sin, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling convicted today, move on that. 
If there's things that are undone between you and another person, make it right. That's the Holy Spirit trying to bless you, trying to help you in your life. That's really important you pay attention to that. And if you don't pay attention to that, it hurts you physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, all the rest. So if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, move. Move today. Don't go another day without it. But on the flip side, condemnation is feeling guilt over confessed sin. And it comes from the enemy. Why am I telling you this? Because if you've done everything you know to do, if you've done everything in your power to be reconciled or restitution or whatever it is, and you know that you are in the will of God and you've done what you can do, you're done. You're done. Do not let any thought in your mind, don't let another person condemn you ever because that's not of God. God loves you. He's for you. And if you've done what you need to do, it's done. How do we know this? Because in the Bible it says, in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation, none, zero, for those in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus and you've done what you're supposed to do, you don't need to feel bad another day. It comes from the dark side. It's not light, it's not life. It's darkness and hardness, and it hurts you. There's a difference. Conviction, condemnation. It's really important. And it's also true, I know this firsthand, that the hardest person to forgive is yourself, isn't it? We tend to be harder on ourselves than on others. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. Think about that. No one knows you better. No one loves you more. So how are we going to live this out, friends? First of all, to the graduates, wherever you're seated, super important, don't let those who hurt you define you. They don't get to choose that. It's about your character. Don't let someone who's hurt you define you. And then when it comes to forgiveness, the first thing we do is we ask God to forgive us. Ask God to forgive you for whatever it is. If you've still got something lingering in your mind, ask God to forgive you and know that it's real and it happens. And once God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. Absolutely do it. Forgive yourself. It's important. If God can forgive you, you better ought to forgive yourself, right? God Almighty. So Francis McNutt, again, with his healing research, he says, I think it is usually humanly impossible to forgive someone who has hurt us deeply and unjustly. Yeah, it's super hard. So I, so I pray with the person and ask Jesus to pour his own forgiving love into the person's heart and over and over again, it happens. It happens. It is true. You may not be able to forgive someone in your own power, so ask another person to pray for you, to be with you, to help you work through that, to forgive them. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's a pastor. Uh, maybe it's just somebody who's really good at prayer. And so ask for prayer. Ask for prayer that that they would help you forgive others. Ask that God would send his Holy Spirit to give you the power to forgive others as he did Corey Ten Boom to her captor. Changed her life. And then know that it's real. So you seal the forgiveness with some sort of symbolic act. I like to burn things. So, you know, you can write something down and like throw it in the fire and it's gone. You can't get that back. Some other people, they, they dig a hole and they put it, you know, in a shoebox and they, they bury it. So it's done and you know it's done. And if, and if the bad feelings come back, you're like, no, it's done. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's done. And so because we know all this is true, Pastor Brandon is going to be here and I'm going to be here uh, during communion. And, and if you would like for us to pray with you uh, for, around forgiveness, we're happy to do that. We don't need to know exactly what it is. It's fine if, it, if you want to tell us, but we don't need that. We'll simply pray for you that you have the power to, to forgive so that you would be free, that you would have life and joy and have it abundantly. Amen? Don't leave here today another day with unforgiveness holding you down or back. Let's pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.